and welcome, welcome to Art, Art After, After Dark. Dark. I am your host, Maddie. And I am your other host, Natalie. And we're going to jump right into our chit-chat portion. We have been checking out our podcast stats from our first episode, which we recorded last week. Oh my gosh, it has been overwhelmingly positive, I would say. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I was kind of thinking, you know, this will just be like something fun that we do, and if a few people listen, then that's cool. Mm-hmm. But we've actually had, a, like Natalie said, a very overwhelmingly positive response. Mm-hmm. I was expecting maybe like maximum 20 people to listen, and we've mm-hmm. had way more than that. Yeah, it's been really interesting. It makes me wonder like how they find our podcast, mm-hmm. but I just hope it continues to grow, and hopefully for episode three, we have more positive podcast stats to share. Yes. So why don't you begin with your highs and lows, if that's all right, Natalie? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll start with positive, like we yes. did last week. Um, my high for this week is that tomorrow, or in podcast world, it'll be today, since it'll launch Oh, this, yeah. the 14th. Right. <laughs> it's my one-year wedding anniversary, so uh, we're going to celebrate at the Melting Pot and... Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I've never been there before, so... That's awesome. I've never been to the Melting Pot. Is that like a fondue place? Yes. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I love fondue. Yeah. What's your high for the week? I... So, last week I was talking about wedding venue stuff, and I had this venue that I was, like, super obsessed with, and it just wasn't really working out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom's been helping me wedding plan, and she has been looking up so many places and just being like such a big help and she just texted me randomly and she said i found it and i knew immediately what that text meant and she found like the perfect wedding venue and yeah i booked my wedding and i set a date so oh, it's so exciting yeah. i'm so excited for you it's gonna Thanks. be awesome right i'm super excited and it's like so the venue is um it's a dinner theater where they have plays and performances mm-hmm. and so it's like so theatrical with like big red curtains and me and um my fiance jack we're gonna get married on the stage and then it's just a super cool venue and they're super down with like halloween decorations and so one of the things me and jack decided was they have a big screen that we're gonna play the thriller music video on oh my god and our um yeah it's gonna dance yeah (gasps) not at the ceremony no 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 but um at the reception got it okay yeah so yeah that was my high um yeah so, what are your lows for this week? I'm being really nitpicky because I didn't have too many lows or anything like that mm-hmm. this week. But um, Joe and I did look at a cute house. Oh, um, yeah. And we were kind of disappointed with it because the neighborhood wasn't so great. Yeah. And I don't want to get murdered. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of like going to take a step back a little bit on the looking and yeah. wait till because we were originally gonna not do that till next year but mm-hmm. we just thought this house was so cute we had to go look at it um but yeah the neighborhood wasn't great and um i'm still not like at a hundred percent with my te- wisdom, wisdom teeth, teeth. Yeah, yeah i'm feeling so much better though and i feel like re-listening to last week's episode you could tell i was like talking through my teeth i feel like oh my and gosh. like Maddie knows, like, by the end of the day, I was, like, holding my yeah my jaw in my hands, and, and you had oh to give gosh. me an ice pack after we finished right. recording. But, yeah, I'm feeling so much better. You can probably tell by 
how much more you do sound more bubbly yeah i will say yeah after the episode last week we had to sit on the couch with like ice packs yeah she had (laughs) an ice pack i felt so bad (laughs) um so that's good Um, that you're feeling better yeah so i mean i guess that's kind of a high and a low i'm still not at 100 which is crazy because it's Mm -hmm. been over two weeks that's the thing that they i feel like mess up on with the wisdom teeth biz they like really don't give you an accurate description of the like how long it's gonna take to be back to normal like honestly yeah and i had lots of problems with mine too yeah they were like yeah bad but anyway feeling better so that's good that's good but yeah i would say i too like didn't have a lot of lows this week i kind of had to really think of one Mm -hmm, and i feel you on like this you know looking at a house thing um me and my fiance are looking at places and touring places right now yeah to move and we've been catfished like every time where like the photos are so gorgeous and we get there and we're like what the hell is this like there's cracks in the wall yeah there's like you know a bunch of crazy things that weren't in the photos so i definitely feel you there yeah um i would say my low for the week so right now i am a server Mm -hmm. and i have just been having like the rudest customers this week one of my customers like literally um he basically called me a dumb blonde which like if you know me i hate that because well yeah who would like it (laughs) right i I guess like who would when i was blonde people would say that about me too yeah you know that's a definitely a real thing working in customer service like people just get to like talk down to you yeah so like this guy insinuated that i was a dumb blonde and then so that was annoying and then like i was talking to my other table and he was like yelling at me while i was taking another table's order and then he like i went over to his table and he gave me his card and he's like oh if you're capable of swiping it and i'm at that point i was just like oh like i just (laughs) i've been having like you know not so good customers this week but it's so sad i feel like especially like as, when you're attractive oh people like <laughs> i don't know thanks i mean well <laughs> i just like i don't know i just get you know it's just the life of being a server honestly yeah like if if there's any fellow servers out there listening you guys know how mm-hmm. it is but yeah those are my highs and lows this week mm-hmm. um i suppose we should jump in without further ado yes I'm so excited to just, you know, sit back and, like, get creeped out. So, what do you got for us this week? So, today, I'm going to be talking about the killers. Not serial killers. Just killers. Okay. So, they each killed one person? Less than three people. Oh, okay. But they're just, yeah, terrible. But anyway, the killers that inspired Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So, for for those of you who don't know... um, Buffalo Bill, he's the main antagonist in the movie Silence of the Lambs, who would approach a woman pretending to be injured, um, ask her for help, and then knock her out in a surprise attack and kidnap her. Very Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ted Bundy would do that. Just, like, my biggest nightmare, you know? Yeah, I'm always so wary. Like, if I'm walking by a car that has, like, their trunk open, Mm -hmm. I will, like, 
not walk by that car. Yeah. Because I'm afraid they'll take me and put me in the trunk. Yeah, that's <laughs> what my mom taught me. My mom taught me to, like, not trust anybody. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's right. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so um, Buffalo Bill would, you know, after he kidnapped the woman, he would then take her to his house and leave her in a pit in his basement and starve her until her skin was loose enough to easily remove. Um, then he would skin a part of her body, which he would do, like, a different section on each victim. Oh, God. Um, and dump each body into a different river. <laughs> so. So, he, good. this is, and this isn't the movie character, this is the real guy. Nope, this is the movie character. Oh, okay, yeah, I was just, gonna say, like, dang, they really nailed it to a T. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the movie character. Okay. Um, I was just explaining... For if like someone hadn't seen the movie, oh yep yep, um, which is totally fine if you haven't seen the movie. I'm just gonna talk about the killers that inspired this guy. But anyway, so he would also like before he put their body into a river, he would insert a death's head moth into their throat, which is like the moth that's on the cover of the yeah movie. Yeah, you even if you haven't seen the movie per se, you'd recognize yeah. the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he would do the death's head moth because he was fascinated by their metamorphosis. Um, which is a a process that he would want to undergo by becoming a woman. So basically, like, his skinning of these different body parts, he's, like, trying to make a woman's suit, basically. Right. So he's comparing his own transformation to that of, like, a butterfly or a moth. Exactly. So um, I was watching this movie, like, a few months ago, probably, like, maybe pre-quarantine or, like, just after quarantine started. Yeah. for, so, like, the first time? No, no, no. Oh, I was... Just, like, <laughs> again, like, with fresh right. eyes. I don't mm-hmm. know. And then I was kind of, like, wondering how much of the story was true because... I don't know. It just seemed like... There I, is I'll a just say that says, like, based on a true story, right? I don't know. Cause that, I, I just I, watched it today, so I should know this. But <laughs> I, I didn't notice that. Um, but I... It was just a little off-putting how they would, like, kind of represent someone transitioning as, like, um, yeah. some kind of nasty, like, killer, right. monster person. I could, I totally um, see what you especially mean. Especially since at this point, I don't know when this movie came out, sometime in the 90s, I think. Yeah, I think, but, yeah, in the mid or late 90s. Yeah, there was pretty much no, like, representation of, mm-hmm. you know, people transitioning or anything like that. So I'm sure it, like, made people really afraid of that, which is kind of sad. But mm-hmm. anyway, so that's why I wanted to know, like, did somebody purposely change this and make that his character? And rework it to make it seem like exactly. essentially transgender people are scary, which is a wrong, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. narrative to push. And anyway, so I, I researched and I discovered that Buffalo Bill was not a real person, but he was... Um, heavily based on three killers in particular i think six altogether but like the main ones were ed gein and gary heidnick who is what i'm going to talk about today um i should also mention though um i mean i did mention ted bundy a little bit but um anyway gary ridgeway uh he was the green river killer i don't know if Mm -hmm. you've heard of him oh yeah but he was the one who would like put things down uh, people's throats and then dump them in the river interesting so that's where that part comes from but the Two main ones are um, Gary Heidnick and, and Keen. So let's talk about Gary Bear. Gary Bear. Gary, what did you do, Gary man? Gary Michael Heidnick. That's what his mother would say when he got in trouble. Gary Michael Heidnick. Yes. He was um, not nice. He was not a nice guy. Oh. Um, so anywho, he was an American murderer who kidnapped, tortured, and raped six women, <sighs> killing two of them, 
while holding them prisoner in a pit in his basement in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Damn. Yeah. So already that does sound like a lot similar to the movie. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, obviously, Buffalo Bill was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. He only killed two of his victims, which is so interesting because four of them literally survived, which is the most interesting thing in the world to me. Oh, God. And one of them like wrote a book. And I want to. Oh my gosh! It, kind of have a little book club Ugh. on the pod. Yeah. So anyway, Gare Bear, he he had an emotionally abusive father as a child, of course, um, and a history of bedwetting. You know, his mother killed herself. His brother spent time in mental institutions and attempted suicide. It was just not a good family situation. Yeah, it definitely seems like it was in the cards for him to have a very troubled life. Which exactly. Is, I mean, especially. The abusive parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty common in every and serial wedding. killer story. Yeah, yeah that's like all. Yeah, it was a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. But anywho, so he he joined the army as a teen, um, but he was honorably discharged with a medical condition, which the official diagnosis was schizoid personality disorder. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they yeah. c- called it that. I mean, I know, uh, but yeah, that's what they called it, and. Um, so I'm not sure what that actually means, but it doesn't sound like he was very stable. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, after his discharge, he became a licensed practical nurse. Oh, interesting. Terrifying. <laughs> so he began becoming more comfortable like working on bodies, you mm, could say. You could say that, yeah. And also the army, I mean, I'm sure there was some... I don't know what... you. Ha- I mean, he got right. discharged from the army. Honorably, though. Right. Who knows but- what... I didn't Could find anything. To that. Yeah, I didn't right. find anything about it. But anyway, so he worked at this um, Veterans Administration Hospital, but he was fired for poor attendance and rude behavior towards patients. Okay, so not good traits to have as a nurse. He was not nice. He was <laughs> just like a kind of a rude guy all around for oh, his whole Gary. life. Yeah, do better. No. So anyway, um, sort of like his early crimes, earliest crime. Um, in 1978, he signed out his girlfriend at the time's sister, Alberta, um, from a mental institution, of course, okay. on day leave. And he proceeded to imprison her in a locked storage room in the basement. Um, mm. She was found and returned to the hospital, and they kind of like examined her and realized that she had been raped and sodomized and that she had contracted gonorrhea from him. Oh my gosh. So he was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. Okay, so, so. this is the first known time he actually hurt someone. Yeah, this is his first arrest. Okay. Um, so Jeez, anyway. just right out of the gate with like, that just so went bad. off one day and that's horrible. Yeah, and this is his girlfriend's sister at the time oh my gosh so it's just like imagine being the girlfriend and being like what the heck all of a sudden you just just yeah right turn into a crazy guy it'd be so interesting to talk to the girlfriend yeah and get an interview you know for, <laughs> yeah. well obviously we i don't think we'd be able to do that but no but this like if you think about it i mean this is the 80s it's not that long ago. it really isn't yeah. that long ago it's so scary and like 
I'm pretty sure because I don't know when the movie came out, but he this guy was still alive. I think he died in 1999. Yeah, 1999. So he was still alive when that movie came out, which interesting. is interesting. Um, I wonder if he watched it in jail and like <laughs> yeah. if so, what his reaction was. I know. But, okay, interesting. Crazy. So um, the original sentence was then overturned on appeal, and he spent three years of his incarceration just in a mental institution, um, and then he was released in 1983. Okay. So in 1983, he then used a matrimonial service to meet his future wife, Betty. Um, so basically, he just like, like hopped a... on eHarmony.com and signed up and found Betty. Okay. I mean, not really, but... Sounds like a, you know. almost like a mail-order bride it, yeah. service, well, maybe? Well, I mean, it was more consensual than that. Okay. Um, it was more like... I think it's like in the newspaper, sort of. Yeah, like, they used to have Lonely Hearts Club in the newspaper where, you know, lonely singles in the area would post, yeah. you know, Yeah, I think it was kind of like that, but I think it might have been more of a service where, like, he actually, like, went to you go... You pay for, you know, I think them so. to find you somewhere. Yeah, okay. so... Anyway, um, they corresponded for mail by mail for two years, and then he proposed to her. Sounds um, a lot like Catfish, you know the TV show. Like they talk online for years, <laughs> yeah, and, and then they marry. They like know. never see a picture, and they're like, "Oh, let's get married." Right. <laughs> I love that show. I love Neve. Uh, oh, Neve. Uh, I I love Neve so much. Honey. Um, <laughs> anyway, they got married one month after they met in person. So they met in September of 1985. And they got married in October of 1985. Oh, lovely. So, yeah. I she, <laughs> she just, yeah. She sorry, just was Betty, like, honey. she was like, yeah, I guess you'll do. And they just married a month later. Mm-hmm. I mean, they both were obviously lonely if they're yeah, using this service. I know. And they, I mean, they talked for two years, so they must have like, yeah. known like something about each other. But they only met for one month. Anyway, she obviously didn't know him very well because the marriage rapidly deteriorated after she found him in bed with three other women. And then he forced her to have sex what with them. What the hell is mm. going on here? So, yeah, throughout the course of their brief marriage, oh. um, he yeah, he forced her, Betty to watch while he had sex with other women, like, all the time. And he um, also repeatedly raped and assaulted her. But. Oh, God. Luckily, Betty was able to leave him in January 1986. So that was only, like, a few months later. Damn, I hope she's doing well today. I know. Betty Disto, how you doing? Um, anyway, so then we get into kind of the, the big, like, the big mean stuff. Oh boy, okay, I'm, I'm buckling in. Yeah, so on November 25th, 1986, is the same year that Betty left, um, he abducted a woman named Josefina Rivero, which is a total girl boss, we'll get into her later. Josefina Rivero, yeah. super cool name. I know, she's just a total boss. Um, anyway... So, by January 1987, so just a few months later, he had kidnapped another four women, um, whom he held captive in a pit in his in the basement of his house. Yeah, oh. Just like in um, Silent Sound. But it was more than one woman that he kept. Interesting. Yeah. I never knew that part of it. So, he separately abducted four women and just had this collection yeah, growing? So it was like, yeah. By the time, I mean, he had abducted six altogether, but at this point, it's only five. So Josephina and the other four women. Okay. And by the way, they're all black women. I just have to point that out. So yeah, and in the movie, it's a white girl. It yeah, in the movie there's not really any there's not really any there's no black representation. There's no black people in the movie. Right. But anyway, so that's it, interesting. It is interesting because I just feel like it, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes more sense when we get to Ed Gein because of the whole woman suit thing. Like, he probably, right. like, he wanted, wanted a, a specific... white woman to match. Yeah, so that's... We'll get into that. Yeah, but whatever. Anywho. Um, so, one of the women, Sandra Lindsay, she died, unfortunately, of a combination of starvation, torture, and an untreated fever. Um, so, then Gary dismembered her body, but apparently he had some trouble dealing with her arms and legs. Oh, yeah, so he gosh. like just cut her up and and for some reason just was like, I don't know what to do with these. He so, like didn't plan ahead. Yeah, like, I, I guess not. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if it's the first person you're cutting up, it's probably just kind of like. See, that, this is the thing about, you know, murderers. It's like, what goes through their head? They're like, well, I guess I'll just hack them up into pieces now. And it's like, well, now what? Like, yeah. like why? Yeah, so he put her arms and legs in the freezer and marked them as dog food. Like, he just oh. like put them in the freezer, okay. just her, like, whole arms and legs, and just wrote dog food on it. So if somebody like, finds <laughs> a foot in the freezer, they'll be like, oh, my God. And then they're like, oh, oh it's, it's dog it's food. It's labeled. It's labeled, oh. guys. It's fine. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, he cooked her ribs in an oven and boiled her head oh in a pot on the God. stove. Yeah, that's so sad. It's, it's weird. I mean, it, at first it seemed like he was more into like the sexual nature of it, and now he's just decided, well, I'm going to be a cannibal too. Like, and, why? Well, yeah, so, yeah. And the police actually literally came to his house because somebody complained like one of his neighbors or something complained about a bad smell coming from his house oh my god and then so they came to his house and literally were like hey we had a complaint about a bad order and gary was just like oh i i was cooking a roast and um i fell asleep and it burnt oh okay. so they were like oh okay and they left like they didn't think oh that actually smells like rotting flesh in an oven because like, that i mean for real like because you know how bad that smell must be that the police pay a visit to your house? Like, the neighbor can smell it? Like, that's not a burnt roast. Right. Like, I cannot believe the police in this situation. burnt? Like, that's... well, I guess he put the ribs in the oven, but it's like... Yeah. I mean, I'm sure... Oh, God, I just can't even imagine, but sorry, continue. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty bad, and there's definitely no... Jody Foster here to save the day. I know. Like at this point, I'm like, where's Jody when you need it? I her? know. Anyway, several sources state that he ground up the flesh of Lindsay, the girl who died of um, starvation, all that other stuff, mm -hmm. um, mixed it with dog food, and then fed that to all the other women that he was imprisoning. Oh my god! And okay, it says several sources state. That's like what from the article I read, mm -hmm. and honestly, I believe it because. Four of these women survived. Like they'd have to all be like, right. we got fed dog food with and why human people. Would in they it. make that up? Yeah. You know? Oh that, my gosh! I, I mean, wonder if they could yeah. tell at the time that it was dog food plus you know something I a lot know. more sinister. He was pretty like I. I'm sure he wanted them. Oh to know. God! I'm sure he told them. I mean, yeah. He, I mean, that's probably but, part of you know the satisfaction of it for him. Yeah, and they. I mean, they were, like, being starved, you know? So right. So what are you going to do, not eat it? I yeah, mean, I mean... You have a choice to eat that disgusting concoction or to literally die of starvation. Right. And then be fed to others. I know. It's, it's so, literally, like, eat or be eaten. Like Yeah. It literally... Yeah, it <sighs> was. And he just did a bunch of weird stuff. Like, he used electric shock and... Um, he definitely sounds like... 
because didn't I think Ted Bundy might have done some weird electric show. I actually things. don't know very much about Ted Bundy. Yeah. I think I'm gonna cover him in one episode because yes. I would love to like research him and learn more about him because I feel like a lot of the um, true crime podcasts I listen to, they're always like, oh, everyone knows the story of Ted Bundy, so right. we're not even gonna like talk about him. And it's like it, I know it, but how? I don't. Do I know it well? No. I mean, I just know the gist of it. So that's yeah. definitely something I would love to dive in mm-hmm. deeper. But yeah, Ted Bundy was definitely like one of the people who inspired Buffalo Bill in that way. Um, But yeah, so he just did a bunch of weird stuff. And um, so Josefina Rivera, the woman I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. his first victim, um, she would, like, help him do these things. Like, she she was really smart about it. I hate to say it, but, like, she kind of gained his trust Mm -hmm. in a way. And, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, she was forced to do these things, like, he oh, forced yeah. her to like help help him but like that shock is really people. Smart, you um, know, to yeah, and we'll trust. get we'll get into that too because she yeah she basically like saved everybody's life. Okay. Um. Yeah. So anyway, on January eighteenth, nineteen eighty seven, he abducted a woman named Jacqueline Askins. Um. She was the youngest of six victims. She was only eighteen at the time. Aww. Yeah. And by the way, Maddie, these people, these women, they're all like eighteen to twenty five, like our okay. age. Well, yeah. it just makes it, like, not that it wouldn't be any better or worse at a different age, but it's just... It's terrifying. It makes it more relatable, you know, when it's it totally your age. Does. Yeah, because, like, can you imagine if we had to go through this? God. Like, yeah, it's just... It's horrible. And they're is. still alive today, obviously. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Yeah, and um, she she survived. She was one of the survivors. Okay. Um, and 30 years after she was in like doing a TV interview and she said that, um, Gary Heidnick, he wrapped duct tape around their mouths and stabbed them in the ears with a screwdriver. Oh my gosh. That is horrifying. I wonder if I would rather hearing was affected. I know. I would rather like eat dog food people than be stabbed in the ears with a screwdriver. Honestly. Yeah. That is just like, unforgivable oh. i mean like all of this stuff is but you yeah know, that that is just like oh i don't know I, so bad more ear stuff we were talking about ear stuff last week too we were oh yeah the With ear the, nails yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway so on march 23rd um heidnick and josephina rivera they mm-hmm. together abducted a woman named agnes adams so anyway then the next day um josephina was like Hey, I have another captive that I want to bring you. Like, can I can I go and get her? And mm-hmm. he like trusted her, so he was like, Yeah, that sounds legit. Like, go ahead. So he drove her to this gas station and said he would wait for her there while she went to go get this other victim. Okay. Idiot. I wonder where he thought, yeah, she met this other victim. Yeah, like, like I mean, maybe before she was like, Oh, I'm yeah. a woman that's like perfect for you because she's like in her age range oh, or whatever. Yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah. And so anyway, she literally just walked a block away and called nine one one. Like gosh. she was just like, Okay, well I I'm wonder, free. I'm gonna call nine one one immediately. And um they kinda noticed that she had like chain I mean the police noticed that she had like chain marks and whatever and oh. they just like literally just arrested him. Like they went to the gas station and just arrested him right away. Oh my gosh. Um so yeah, he was he was executed. Uh, by lethal injection in 1999 so all right so yeah so four of those ladies survived i don't remember who the other one that died was but i can totally see the overlap with silence of the lambs yeah like 
a lot. I mean, the, with the pits mm-hmm. and and like just women. the fact that he had like a bunch of dog food and stuff. And, yeah. And, in Silence of the Lambs, he like has a dog that he loves. You know, I never would have thought about that, but yeah, he. Yeah. It's it's sometimes it's so weird when these murders have more compassion for their pet yeah. than for other people. It's like it's creepy. It's like why is your why does your head work like that? You know. Yeah. And that dog in that movie, by the way, is so freaking cute yeah i know it's it is pretty cute cute oh my gosh don't you hurt my dog (laughs) (laughs) don't you make me hurt your dog i I know (laughs) i used to think that the that victim in the movie was kind of annoying and i was kind of like don't hurt the dog i don't know oh my god i know i know it's terrible but actually when i was watching it today i was like honestly Go, like go, go you yeah, yeah. Right. like i can't imagine like, what do you expect being in that situation yeah. of course she's gonna be like annoying and <laughs> be like let me let out. me out yeah i would too but anyway then we get into edward theodore gein okay and um is he he's from up by us right is he from i think he might be from wisconsin he is from wisconsin yeah okay. he's from plainfield well he was from I don't think he's from Plainfield, but he they eventually moved there, like, when okay. he was a child. So he, like, grew up in Plainfield, but... Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, he is also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, or the Plainfield Ghoul. Um, he was an Amer- American convicted murderer, of course, and body snatcher, which is something oh. that they don't get into in the, in the movie Silence of the Lambs or anything yeah. like that. They don't really, like, cover that, but he, he only killed two people. Um, I and mean, he dealt with, it sounds like, a lot of dead bodies. He but, definitely yeah. did, yeah. He exhumed corpses from local graveyards in Plainfield and, like, fashion trophies and keepsakes from their bones and skin. Ugh. Like, um, chairs and... We'll get into exactly, like, what they found and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, he actually inspired a lot of movies, like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, Psycho, and, of course, The Silence of the Lambs. Um, and I think it's really important to talk about his childhood because... It always is, I think. It always is. But especially in in his case, because his mom was kind of... He had mommy issues, Mm -hmm. like, for sure. Um, So his parents were named um, Augusta and George. um, And his mother just, like, absolutely hated George. He was an alcoholic. He was unable to keep a job. Um, He worked for various times um, as a carpenter, a tanner, which I think is interesting because... tanner? Yeah, Gein would, like, tan hides and (gasps) stuff. Oh! Okay. So I found that interesting that his father was a teenager. Oh That's probably where he learned some of his... Oh my... Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was like also an insurance salesman for a while. And then for a little bit, he owned a grocery store. Um, but he sold the business and then they left the city and moved to Plainfield and to live on a farm in isolation. Okay. Um, and Augusta, she was just like crazy. I don't know. That's so crazy. But... Um, yeah, so she took advantage of the farm's isolation, and she just kind of turned away outsiders that could have, like, influenced her sons in any way. Um, they had two sons, Henry, okay. and, Henry and Ed, and there's, like, a whole story about how some people think that Ed actually killed Henry. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because they were, like, I can't remember what they were, like, burning something on the farm, and then um, the fire, like, spread out of control, mm-hmm. and Henry died from it. But, like, they, when they examined his body, he, like, died, actually, of, like, blunt force trauma or something okay, like that. Okay, so, like, so not a fire. Not a fire, yeah. 
very so, sus. And Ed was the one who obviously called it in, and that was, like, mm-hmm. after the whole day of, like, the fire. <laughs> and he, I'm sure, just knew where to find yeah. Henry. Yeah, and, and I, I, don't, I don't have any notes on that, so I could be, like, getting that kind of wrong, but basic, the basic yeah. story is, like, people think, oh, he probably just He probably him. did. Yeah, so, <laughs> so two, maybe three people. So if he's three, then he would be considered yeah, a serial killer, actually. that's true. It has to be three or more. Anyway, so he basically just stayed on the farm all the time. The only time he ever left was just to go to school. Okay. Because his mom would not let him go anywhere. It's interesting she, like, didn't homeschool him even. I know. Yeah, that is interesting, actually. At least he got to go to school. Yeah. I mean, So, yeah, outside of school, he spent most of the time just, like, doing chores on the farm. And she was, like, super religious, like, in a weird, culty way, kind Mm of. I was going to say, she kind of sounds like a cult leader, like, trying to turn away everybody else yeah to, like, like warp her kids minds and she was yeah and she just like basically only talked about how like everyone is inherently evil and like drinking is evil and she thought all women were naturally promiscuous and just like instruments of the devil um and every afternoon she would read to the to them uh from the bible and she would pretty much only select verses from the Old Testament that were about, like, death and murder and, like, divine retribution. Okay. So just trying to, like, scare the absolute shit out of them. Yeah, into, like, literally not doing any- anything. I mean, like, she couldn't even That's leave. That's so traumatizing. Yeah, totally. And his, his mother even punished him when he tried to make friends. Like, she would punish him. So I just found that so interesting. Especially later we'll get mm-hmm. into more mommy issues, but... And um. Psycho, you know, because you said this um, story inspired yeah. Psycho, and that's like mommy issues galore. So mm-hmm. I could definitely see the. I haven't seen it, but I definitely need to. Oh God, it's yeah. like one of the most classic, best horror movies. I know we should watch it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but anyway, um, kind of just bad childhood. Obviously, mm-hmm. just didn't get to do anything, and his classmates and teachers kind of remembered him as having strange mannerisms, like random laughter you oh know, you know kind of reminds me of the joker i was just gonna say that reminds me of joker yeah like from the did you see the new oh god newest joker the movie? new joker like seriously like captivated me and i'm not trying to sound like cheesy but like no, it was, was literally obsessed. so good yeah the way he would just like forcefully laugh even in sad situations was so like jarring i know so I definitely and you like that. felt bad for him but not really yeah and, and just like, like this you kind of feel bad for ed gein because it's like well he like didn't even have a chance almost with his bad childhood but it's yeah. like yeah but he also like killed the people but well yeah. only two i mean <laughs> only two he, and no. he would okay i find okay ed, ed gein is messed up but i find mm-hmm. him to be almost less messed up than Heidnik. Heidnik? Yeah, yeah because Gary, like, kept them alive and tortured them and things like that. Right. And he would just kind of, like, He just wanted to be an effed up guy just to be an effed up guy, it sounds like. like. Yeah, he was just, like... That's why I wanted to start with him, because I just find Ed Gein to be more, like, fun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> fun to hear about, not a fun guy. Yeah. Anyway, so then we'll get into the... We'll crack into the big stuff. Oh, we'll crack into yes, it, say. So. <laughs> I've been literally... <laughs> we should crack that open. There I've been go. waiting to open this can for that cue, just so you guys know. <laughs> and now I'm going to enjoy my delicious sour ale. Yes, we've got some <laughs> sours tonight. Um, so, on the morning of November 16th, 1957, um, the Plainfield hardware store owner, her name was Bernice Warden, 
Um, she just mysteriously disappeared, and the hardware store was closed for the entire day. Um, but people kind of mm. just thought maybe it was because of deer hunting season. They were like, maybe, maybe she just closed haunting. up to go hunting. I don't know, but she didn't. Um, I guess Bernice was not a hunter. She she was murdered. Um, Bernice Warden's son, who was a deputy sheriff, interestingly, mm. um, his name was Frank, and he he got there around five and found the store's cash register open and blood stains on the floor. Okay. She wasn't there though. So that's horrifying it's i just it's like somebody's missing like somebody's gone and there's just like a puddle of blood and that's it like yeah that's, and the that's cash so register was open so like did he like buy okay well we'll get into that he's he obviously bought something um yeah because um frank hit you know bernice's son she told he told investigators that he had been in the store the night before um her disappearance and that he said that he was going to come back in the morning and buy a gallon of antifreeze. And so um, there was a sales slip on the counter for a gallon of antifreeze. That was the last receipt that was written by her that day. So he's leaving a trail, like pretty and, Like obvious. he wants to get caught or something. And I, I almost feel like he did because he was one of those killers that like... Knew it was showed, wrong, maybe? Yeah, and he like showed at the end. We'll, we'll get to that, or, but yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway... <laughs> But I just find it interesting that the cash register was open. Like, he just left it open? Or, like... Did, did he she, pay for his handy Did, did she, like, give, give her a change? And then, like, he literally just killed her, like, what was open? Right. <laughs> I mean, so he That's actually bought it. And she, like, literally wrote out the receipt. And, like, that all happened. It's like, did she give him a bad look? Like... I just don't understand how you go from, you know, your morning plan trip to just get some antifreeze to killing your Well, and it wasn't cashier. it wasn't that quick because they arrested him later that day and um and they went to go search his farm and they found a lot of stuff there. Oh already. god, they're just like yeah. well, that's not what we expected. Nope, they they found her Bernice, her decapitated body oh. in his shed, yeah. She was hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes on her wrists. Um, and the torso was just dressed out like a deer. Why? What do you mean dressed out like, like a deer? Like, you know when people like are cleaning like a deer oh. and they like cut their chest open? That's like what I'm picturing. God. Right this yeah. makes me think of Saw. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, but yeah, he just, he shot her with a rifle and the mutilations were made after her okay, death. Okay, so at least she didn't like Yeah, so he like, suffer. he was not into torturing people. Okay, like, totally was. different from Heidnick, yeah. Yeah, they were definitely two different people, but they found a lot of crap searching the house and I'm going to share with you what they found. Oh god, I just got like the chills. Ugh. Yeah, so <laughs> searching the house, they found whole human bones and fragments, Ugh. a wastebasket made of human skin. Oh human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on the bedposts, female skulls with the top sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, oh. lots of skulls, tons, um, a corset made from a, a female torso, skin from shoulders to waist, um, leggings made from human leg skin, oh my gosh. masks made from the skin of female heads, um, Mary Hogan, who is the other woman that he killed, her face in a paper bag. Um, yeah, just, like, her face. So God. Um, and her skull was in a box. Um, Bernice Warden, the shop owner, her entire head was in a burlap sack. Um, her heart was just, like, in a plastic bag in front of the stove. Just, like, so random. Yeah. Um, they found nine vulvas. 
in a <laughs> shoebox. I don't... I, yeah. I don't even have words yeah. for that. And vulvas. Nine of them. Th- that that like, word is like, so, like... Just, like, what? He just, what like, the cut f- the flaps off and just put <laughs> the them in a shoebox. <laughs> what the hell is he doing? I like... <laughs> I hate yeah. this. Oh, and then oh, this is sad though. And then they found a young girl's dress too, and in the vulvas of two females judged to have been about fifteen. Oh my gosh! Yeah, most of his victims or not victims, I guess, because they were already dead. But yeah, most of his grave robbed people <laughs> were um, his mother's age, of course. It's interesting. And they're all women, right? They're all it women. It sounds like, okay. It sounds like, yeah. But anyway, then they found a belt made from female human nipples. They found four noses. Uh, they found a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. It's so uh, random. Like, he just had I, furniture what, and just did just Do two lips, like, stay together? Like, I'm picturing, like, in a very juvenile way, like, a perfect, like, just lips... You know, yeah. a drawstring. How does that like work? Wax like wax lips. Yeah, yeah, like like a cartoon. Like I just can't even imagine how he that must have would cut work. like around where the skin is. I hate it. Ugh, I hate it. But he also they also found lampshade. Uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, he was like I. He was the son of a tanner. I don't know. If- That's the thing. Like because no regular, well, no regular person would do this. Period. Yeah. But like, what he had to have learned those tricks from his dad because nobody just knows how to tan hides and make a waste basket out of yeah, skin i'm just gonna show you oh my those. god okay yeah sorry i know it's, it's okay this is i signed up for this yeah but like you can tell it's holy not, like, shit those are real are they real this is real no yeah. way it's like for those who are listening We'll post it. It I'll, seriously I'll post the art stuff look first real. and then post the, the dark stuff yeah. after so that people swiping can choose if they want to even see this or not. But <laughs> that's a look really at this. Good you idea. can actually see this person's face. It seriously looks like it's made out of clay, but it's creepy. Like, if, if you guys have seen one of the best movies ever made, um, Jeepers Creepers with oh. Justin Long. Yeah. Justin Long, I freaking love you. Oh my god, you. it totally does look like that. But it totally looks like there's a part in the movie, yeah, where he has like people sewn on the walls. It looks like that. It's yeah. like, I can't even describe how fake it looks. That makes me think, you know, sometimes when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh my gosh, it looks so fake. Well, does it really look fake? Because yeah. what do you have to compare it to? Because this, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyway, so I just had to show you that just to, because it's like clearly been like tanned. You know? Yeah. It's like, it looks, because that's the thing. I was just picturing like decaying flesh, like that can't hold up well, but it, I mean, the picture it's I just like, saw, it looks like legitimate leather couch. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really does. It looks like le- human skin leather, but like you can see faces like in the chairs and things like that. That was somebody's face, like their face, their personality. Oh, I just like, yeah. Yeah. It's, really scary but yeah they found yep the the lampshade um made from the skin of a human face they found fingernails from female fingers so um they i read that these artifacts were photographed at the state crime lab and then quote unquote decently disposed of so like did they bury them or did they like what do you do with those? Do you, do you like, burn throw them? Throw them in the garbage? Do you? <laughs> I would like put them in a box and sink it to the bottom of the ocean. I don't Ew. know. Like, but no, that's even more that's disturbing. That's terrifying. That's sitting like, in the bottom know, of the ocean, preserved. It, but like, yeah, I don't know. 
But yeah, so then anyway, they question him and he just basically was, he's one of those killers that just tells them everything. Yeah. He like, I, I honestly feel like he wanted to be caught. He, I feel like, it, I mean, he knows like, okay, well, there's no talking myself out of this. I might as well at least have the satisfaction of not having to lie about it. Yeah. You know. So he told them that between 1947 and 1952, and by the way, this is 1957. Oh, so this stuff has been in his house for years. Just I didn't realize it was that old, but I guess yeah. I mean, it didn't happen in the eighties, so right. Yeah, so I don't know. Pretty bad. Anyway, he he said that between those years, nineteen forty seven and nineteen fifty two, he made around forty nocturnal visits to local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a daze like state. Um, he claims that on some of those visits, he came out of the days while he was in the cemetery, um, that he left the grave in good condition, and he just went home empty-handed. Like, he just came out of this Like, he was just like, what am I like, doing? Like, and he was like, oh, I gotta, this is wrong, I have to go. So he definitely, like, something Something's was weird. really, the yeah. wiring, like, is really messed up. Totally. But on the other occasions, he dug up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women that resembled his mother for his mommy issues. Yeah. And took the bodies home where he tanned their skins to make his little trinkets. I just don't understand if he had, like, such a affinity and, like, love for his mother. Why would he do this to people who, to corpses who looked like well, his Well, and I don't know that he loved her. Yeah. I mean, it could be, like, a... Well, but then he... He's basically like after his mom died, he was trying to create a woman's suit so that he could literally become her and crawl into her skin. Right, and that's where like there's another huge connection to Silence of the Lambs because he's wanting to essentially exactly transform into women in a totally different sense. But you know, yeah, the transformation part, which is why I was just kind of like put off by that in the movie, just the way that they like changed it to yeah. have it be like. I don't know. And then there's like a whole weird, like, there's like a weird conversation between Clarice and Hannibal about how he's not a real quote unquote transsexual and then he's just pretending that he wants to be. I don't know. It's just really weird. I remember that part. And I think like, I've seen this movie like such a long time ago that I think I didn't even like give two thoughts about that dialogue, but it is really weird how... I mean, like, this is, this is the representation that people transitioning get. Like, it's just, like, a monster, basically. It's just sad. Well, and on top of it, there's, like, no transgender representation at all. But then the one that they do get is, like, monstrous. It's like, okay. Yeah, or, like, a punchline in a sitcom or something. Yeah. Yeah, It's just sad. And I, I didn't really want to get into it, but I just had to, like, at least bring it up because people should think about that Mm -hmm. and i think it's okay to like i mean obviously i love this movie that's what i was just thinking like i love the movie and part of me thinks like was it intentional like or were they just trying to create a creepy plot that related to ed gein and other killers in a way and this is how it came out and they didn't mean for it to be you know i don't know received in that way i don't know yeah who knows but anyway it's okay to like it it's just you should realize like what yeah, I don't know. Anyway. It's, it's good in all of the history, yeah, for yeah. things you're interested in. <laughs> I agree. But, um, he, yeah, he admitted to stealing from nine graves, which I find to be an understatement based on the, uh, yeah. on the amount of skulls and 
I mean, they found nine vulvas alone. Then, I, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so but then like, again, like he told the truth about everything else. But if he was really in a zombie like days like state, he could have like mm-hmm. had other times where he doesn't even remember that he's not taking into account. Cause yeah, I mean yeah, I mean he said to have like dug up like forty corpses. Right. So I mean nine, great. Maybe he it, must be misremembering. Yeah, <laughs> he managed to something from nine though only. For some whatever reason, but they kind of were like, I don't know, you you don't seem like you could like dig that much and like carry a body because he was like pretty skinny, yeah, or pretty small, um, and so they opened up. They actually opened up three test graves that he identified, and they were found as he described. So they knew he was telling the truth that, oh that he really did that. Which I don't know why you wouldn't believe someone who literally admitted to doing that. To everything else, yeah. yeah. And they, like, found all the stuff. Like, why would they be like, I don't believe you. You already saw, like, <laughs> unbelievable things. And you're like, but this I cannot believe. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> you are way too skinny to do that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that he was trying to create the woman's suit just like in um, Silence of the Lambs. But this in this instance, it was because he wanted to become his mother. Because um, she obviously had a really weird effect on him being so controlling as he was growing up um but he he denied having sex with bodies um because he said they smelled too bad you know i i believe that i believe he's telling the truth i do too he just he doesn't seem like that that's not his motivation you know what i mean like that doesn't seem like his motivation i honestly feel like he would maybe admit if like that was a part of it he told them everything else right yeah and um so during a laboratory interrogation, he also admitted to the shooting death of Mary Hogan, who's, um, like, they found her skull and all that. That was the oh, lady I yeah. mentioned before. Um, she was a tavern owner who had been missing for the past three years. And, yeah, they found her head in his house, and he kind of, like, denied memory of details of her death, which, I mean, if it was a day's like state, but... At least the people he killed, they, he just shot them. Like he didn't yeah, like that's torture true. them like Gary Heidnick did. But yeah, so those are the two main killers that inspired um, Buffalo Bill. Wow. Well, that was very dark and very chilling. Yeah. So let's go ahead and switch up the pace, shall we? We shall. Um. Yeah, I think I'll probably watch Silence of the Lambs differently now. Mm-hmm. After it's on that. Netflix. I just watched it today. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in the middle of making my... Uh, every, like, fall, I make a list of scary movies that I want to watch. Oh, that's a good idea. And that's, you know, definitely on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing. Um, Please lighten the mood. <laughs> I will say, like, as much as I do love um, listening to dark stuff, it was a little nice not to spend the week researching like a super dark topic yeah um so i got to research the gorilla girls this week i'm gonna be talking about the gorilla girls which is a feminist activist art group um and i love them um but before we get into that last week we talked all about how we got into dark stuff before i talked about lavinia fisher and all of that but we never really talked about how we got into art stuff Mm -hmm, that's a good point and i feel like if we are running an art and dark podcast we should touch up on why we like those subjects so yeah i guess i'll go ahead and start Mm -hmm. um i got into art like i guess 
since I was born? I mean, I don't really know how to answer that question. Right. Um, but I guess I'll start with like describing my art. So art subjects that I really gravitate towards are humans. Um, I really love drawing like the human form, um, you know, and capturing like human emotion. Um, I'm all about just like portraiture, um, which some people don't like, but that's just what gets me excited with mm-hmm. art. Um, and I really love the forms of makeup or the forms of art that I really like are makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of looked up, looked at makeup as a whole form of art in itself. Um, and then I draw a lot with graphite pencils. I really also love, um, while I do love like detailed stuff, I really love doing like gestural drawings with charcoal. Um, but mainly I just do like colored pencil drawings. Mm, um, I love colored pencils too. Yeah, I, I find, like, love yeah. it. I, you know, and I didn't ever think I'd love working with color that much, but there really is just something about like blending color pencils mm-hmm. and just layer by layer, you know. Especially, I just feel like green. I, I don't know what it is about green, oh, but yeah. the the pencil, the colored pencil, just really lends itself to green. I think, like, oh, blend, blending it together. Yeah. I just find that it's just to be very the satisfying. Perfect, yeah, I really love blending together like skin. I mean, obviously, because I just said I like drawing people, but right. I love um, using colored pencils to make skin tones because when you really study people's skin tones, it's not just like browns or peaches it's like blues and greens and reds mm-hmm. um yellows and-, and yellows and i just find um that part of color so fascinating mm-hmm. so i really recently loved color um but i also do love like black and white um but yeah one some art forms that i'm not too good at i would say are graphic art which is natalie like is so good at graphic art so oh, thank you <laughs> yeah of course i'm like kind of hoping maybe i can learn eventually uh, i know a little bit but not much but um yeah like i said i remember drawing from a really early age and um i always kind of like associated art as a creative outlet for me to feel calm mm-hmm. um i've always been kind of like an introvert and creating art something that's always just made me feel good you know and calm um and one of my favorite things is so in my kindergarten yearbook they asked us to draw a picture of ourselves and then they would scan this picture and put it under our yearbook picture and then we had to write what we wanted to be when we grew up and i've like always said artists so I, I don't know, it just makes me smile because I feel like I really haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've been drawing pretty much most of my life. And I would say I got really into, um, I really got into drawing and more when I went to college and kind of like found my aesthetic, I guess you could say. Because yeah. I, I do feel like every artist has like their own aesthetic i feel like i'm still trying to work towards mine yeah i I don't know but that's kind of the beauty of graphic art i think yeah and your aesthetic can like change and warp over time it's not like Mm -hmm. oh you're meant to have one aesthetic to your look and you find it and that's like your work um because like my styles definitely changed but i didn't really have a style before i just kind of tried out things and then like i would describe my style as like combining um, my love for the occult, so anything dark, like we talk about, yes. you know, supernatural stuff. And then um, I feel like my work has like a very big storytelling element to it, like 
because of the certain visuals I use. It kind of, you know. And yeah, so I am going to post pictures of my artwork on um, Art After Dark Pod. So if you are interested, you can... At Art After Dark Podcast. Oh, <laughs> that's our that's our Instagram. Sorry, right? and and Facebook. Link. Yes, yeah. I've been getting so used to saying pod. Sorry, yeah, guys. That's our Gmail. Art yeah, after dark pod. I should have just made a podcast, but I think it was taken for some reason. You know, oh. there's like literally no art after dark podcast. Yeah, maybe someone just had an idea to make it and then never did. I know, and we but yeah, you know, beat we'll them do, to it. Um, but yeah, we'll post pictures of our work. I'm gonna do that two separate. See. Instagram post. I'm gonna do one of my art and one of yours, so that they don't have to like scroll. Yeah, through. I like and that, that way. It'll be like we each get our own post. Yeah, that way. I mean, I just like. I mean, we're gonna be interviewing artists on here and talking to them about their work, and I th- I figured it was a good thing to give a little blurb about you know our art styles and show you guys what we're into. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, do you wanna tell people about how you got into art? Yeah, I kind of feel. It's pretty similar. I, I feel like I had a pretty creative childhood like you did, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, art was something that I, like you, always did to calm myself down. Um, I have a really creative family. Um, my mom is a pretty talented artist and cosmetologist. Um, so is my sister. And my dad is a musician. He's super creative. And he worked in radio for a long time, too, which is kind of, I find interesting because now I've got a podcast yeah and, um hi dad because he's actually been listening to it so that's oh nice. hi natalie's um, dad <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so um it's something i've always been interested in and i always knew that when i finally figured out what i wanted to do with my life it would be something creative mm-hmm. i feel like i went through like a bunch of different phases um on things that i wanted to do with my life like i wanted to be um a wedding cake decorator for a while and I wanted to be an art teacher for a while mm-hmm. and I wanted to you know just all these different like maybe architecture just everything like, that. like with a creative outlet in some way totally know? and yeah I just like eventually kept going back to graphic design and that's why I decided to go to school for that so that's what I'm in school for right now um, but in high school I took every art class imaginable you know just like you we had a lot of them together mm-hmm. um, which was really cool um, I think in in high school I was mostly a ceramics gal. Yeah, you took a lot of ceramics classes. I did. Classes. Yeah, um, I took all the ceramics classes I believe that the school had to offer. We had a would... really amazing ceramics teacher. Yeah, I got to She was so nice. Oh yeah, she was great. And I would like eat lunch in the ceramics room, mm-hmm. you know, and work on stuff in there. Um, and I don't, I don't really know that I have a style, like I was saying, for my art, mm. but that's kind of the beauty of graphic design, because you kind of, you get a set of guidelines from your clients, and they mm-hmm. say, can you make this, and I want these colors, and you get to just choose how you interpret that, and it's really cool. Um, I so, love that, yeah. Yeah, I do gravitate towards digital, of course, but I also love painting, and lately, since I took that drawing class last semester... I've been getting into drawing more, and mm-hmm. like I said, um, working with color, colored pencils. Oh yeah, is just yeah. It's been, it's something that I never really like. Drawing was was the one that I never took that class yeah. in high school, and I never had a drawing class until college. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I I've been getting into that lately, and I've also been doing some crafting. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been making jewelry and keychains and things like that. So, 
Kind yeah. of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, she made me this really cute pair of fuzzy yellow earrings. Yellow is like my favorite color, mm-hmm. so they just make me smile when I look at them. Um, yeah, I feel like we also both have that in common where we both are into makeup and like oh, the cosmetology yeah. side even, of art. I didn't even bring that up, but yeah, growing up just in the cosmetology world. Um, and yeah, we both, I would say, are pretty talented at makeup. Yeah. I I, I mean, yeah, I've always, love mm-hmm. like, loved makeup. I remember, you know, dumping my mom's makeup bag out. <laughs> I would be so mad if somebody yeah. did that to my makeup I now. I remember wearing, I, even when we met in fifth grade, oh, I wore yeah. makeup back then. I know, I, I feel like, um, you know, I always wanted to wear makeup, but my parents were, you know, wanting me to wait. So. Which is fine. Like, I totally get it. I probably won't. Yeah, like, well, I started, oh, as soon as they told me I could wear makeup, though, I was like, mm-hmm. I was going off with it. I'm talking, like, pink eyeshadows, blue, mm-hmm. big winged eyeliner, glitter. Like, yeah. you know, I definitely had some uh, interesting phases. I feel I'll like say colored that. Um, eyeshadow, like, bright colored eyeshadow was, like, really big in um, our yeah. for us. It was really big, and, dude, I've been, like, obsessed with color eyeshadow now. I, like, mm-hmm. especially hot pink eyeshadow. It's been, I feel like I'm having a little, like, Avril Lavigne moment. I love that. I know I saw on your Snapchat story you had hot pink last night. Oh, it yeah. It so good. I've been doing <laughs> orange. Like, when it's fall, I'm, like, all about orange. I'm even wearing orange lipstick. Yeah, now. you're wearing orange makeup today, and I love it, because, mm-hmm. you know, fall vibes it's kind of funny yeah i did pink makeup last night like mm-hmm. a monochromatic pink look and it's kind of funny because when i first started dating my fiance in high school he wasn't he was like oh i like you know a natural makeup look and now i'm like well that's not me so sorry like <laughs> i basically was like that right from the get-go like mm-hmm. well you're not dating a natural makeup gal so and then um but he like is super into it now and last night we were going on a date and i'm like babe how should i do my makeup you can pick any color you want and he's like do monochromatic pink and i'm like okay oh that's so awesome that he <laughs> picked it and you know that yeah i let him pick my makeup sometimes it's fun mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so that's kind of like our art background so yeah check out those um images we post of our artwork mm-hmm. and without further ado i'm gonna jump into the art topic then Um, So like I said, I'm going to be covering the Gorilla Girls, and the Gorilla Girls are a badass group of feminist activist artists, Mm -hmm. and they started their group in 1985 in New York City in the art scene, and they still are a group and create work today. You should um, visit their page um, at GorillaGirls.com, and it's spelled G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, girls, Um, the spelling's a little different, just so you know. Uh, But yeah, so to summarize the idea behind their work, they aim to draw attention to corruption in society through their work. Um, And the Gorilla Girls mainly create art pieces that address sexism and racism within the art community Mm. specifically. That's so cool. Yeah, so I love them. They kind of, um, you know, call people out um, and are very for progressing, you know, society. So Mm -hmm. they're really unique, though, in that they are artists that protect protect their anonymity i really can't say that word i've been trying to (laughs) yes they're anonymous Um, artists yes they're anonymous artists (laughs) i don't know how to say it (laughs) but um but they wear these gorilla masks and they never associate their name with their own work which is very unique because that is so cool imagine being like 
I don't know, just loving art so much. I mean, we both do, but like, imagine loving it so much that you don't even want credit. Like, you don't even right. care if you have credit. You just want it out there. That is a whole other level too, because yeah. while I, you know, I just like creating art for the sake of it, just for myself. Like, mm-hmm. I do. If I see my, if I saw my art posted online and my name wasn't attached to it, I'd be like, what the hell? Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> so I, I just think that's really cool. Like, it's really not about any fame or any um, recognition with them. So I'll go ahead and give more of an in-depth description. And this is an accurate description because it's just right from the mouth of the group. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got this from girlagirls.com. And they said, Gorilla Girls are feminist activist artists. We wear gorilla masks in public and use facts, humor, and outrageous visuals to expose gender and ethnic bias, as well as corruption in politics, art, film, and pop culture. So why does this group remain anonymous, like we talked about? Mm -hmm. Um, I was really curious. And they said that our anonymity, that word again, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, keeps the focus on the issues and away from who we might be. We could be anyone and we are everywhere. We believe in an intersectional feminism that fights discrimination and supports human rights for all people and all genders. We undermine the idea of a mainstream narrative by revealing the understory, the subtext, the overlooked, and the downright unfair. So they're all about, you know, getting justice and representation. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. So they've done hundreds of um, posters, uh, books, videos, stickers. They really, um, I would say their art is not like fine arts paintings and ceramic pieces. Mm-hmm. It's more about like spreading the word. It's actually... Um, like propaganda almost, yeah, but in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the Gorilla Girls right now have exhibitions in Bilbao, Madrid, and their U.S. Um, traveling exhibitions called Gorilla Girls Not Ready to Make Nice. Mm, um, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so they've been busy. And I'll just get into how they started. So during the contemporary art movement, and that was in the 20th century, um, the most distinguished art galleries all were lacking appropriate representation of female artists. And these galleries were most of the time funded by predominantly white male elitists in society yeah yeah and so the gorilla girls this is before they're a group mind you so they're were really female artists Mm -hmm. uh women artists they felt as though museums were not documenting art history in an accurate and inclusive way but instead they were just showing power structures in our society um, which, which is that's not, totally true. Yeah, and that's not what art's about. Right. That's, yeah. you know, art's about the culture, you know, of human life, basically. Um, and they had all of these white male artists in all the museums. Right. So in the mid-60s, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York um, also had a predominantly white male board of directors. Um, and of this lack of, you know, female representation seemed to directly correlate with the lack of female artists work displayed and so this was really infuriating they felt as though white male artists received all the attention and credit and all of the glory in art history and women artists were kind of like pushed aside and they began to make revelations like just how mistreated they were in the art community mm-hmm. um and so they were exclaiming like women are glorified and portrayed in museums constantly you know you go in museums and you see women nude figures all over the walls and mm-hmm. you know in sculpture um, yet when it comes to actual female representation, all of the artists are men, white Eurocentric men. Um, and how is that 
being inclusive and being true to art history. Right. It's um, like the only women representation you see in the museum is, is when we're nudes dra- really? drawn by white men. Right. Yeah. And there's lots of nudes I find, you know, very tasteful because I do I find the human body beautiful, but in a way it feels very objectifying when that's the only representation you get. Yes. Um, even though, it, you know, I do appreciate like, you know, Venus and the Roman nude sculptures. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. yeah, they really um, didn't like this. So in the spring of 1985, seven women banded together to take a stance against this issue. So um, I'm sorry, what year is this? This is in 1985. Okay. Um, so this group of women decided that enough was enough. And the Museum of Modern Art in New York held mm. an exhibition titled... Mama. The MoMA, yeah. <laughs> um, they So this is kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. So mm-hmm. they hosted an exhibition called An International Survey of Recent Painting and Sculpture. And in this exhibition, there were 165 artists, and only 13 of those artists were women, and even less, like, there weren't really any artists of color. So white men, like, you know, the common theme. Ugh, and yeah. the curator of this exhibition, his name was Kiniston McShine, um, That's a cool name. I know, right? That's McShine, what I thought too. I love that. McShine <laughs> sounds pizzazzy. I don't know, mm-hmm. but Ritzy. um, <laughs> but this uh, exhibition was said to be, you know, the era's most important painters and sculptures. And he went on to say, any artist whose work was not included in this exhibition should really rethink their whole art career. That and is not fair. <laughs> I know, like who, like okay, so you get to decide what's art and what's not art. Like screw you. So this really pissed him off because yeah. this is a major institution that's saying this, and they're like, of course people are going to so believe annoying. them if they're like a reputable source. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like people are going to be like, oh yeah, you know. Women. Oh, these are the best artists. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. And it's like they didn't even get a fair chance because no one ever like displayed their art because mm-hmm. they're all just so focused on displaying these white men's art. It's just so unfair. But yeah, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so like that's how they were feeling, just, you know, frustrated. And so they, you know, called themselves the Gorilla Girls. And this, so this group formed as basically a reaction against this particular exhibition. Okay. And from there, like it just blew up into this big thing. So the Gorilla Girls started protesting by putting up posters all over the city. And this is basically like their art form, um, poster protest propaganda style art. Okay. Um, And so the stance was initially to fight... Um, more for female artist inclusivity, but it really expanded to just addressing all racism in the art community, not yeah. just in the galleries, just as a whole. And the art community has remained um, the group's focus, but they have kind of expanded to address sexism and racism in just mass and pop culture in general and in politics. Okay. Um, so they're all about inclusivity, which is why I love them so much. Um, and another part, this is interesting. So another part of the Gorilla Girls' focus is addressing this concern of tokenism in the art community. Yeah. And this is basically like, you know, selecting individuals from underrepresented groups and then just showcasing them and being like, see, we, we have inclusivity. Yeah, it's basically being like, I have a black friend. Exactly. I'm not racist. Yeah. But it's not genuine at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like... Or for a show, you know. So I thought that was really interesting and like that is interesting. And yeah, and I feel like that is kind of like with what's going on in today's culture with um 
the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. So many companies will praise, you know, we are we stand with the Black Lives Matter movement, but then their actions don't align with what they say. Yeah. And, and it's like that tokenism thing. Like, they just want to have the representation without it being genuine. I know? agree. And I feel like even, um, like, Pride Month. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they'll change their logo to, like, a rainbow logo, but then as soon as it's July, they'll change it back. Exactly. You know, which, okay, can I just comment on how Adobe changed their Creative Cloud logo to a rainbow in June? But it is still a rainbow. It's mm-hmm. September, and it's still a rainbow. I just I think, love that. Yeah, I don't know. They're so, like, that's not common. Yeah, most of them, it's like, you know, midnight the last day of June, boom, back yeah, to normal. Like, like, oh, don't we, oh, we had to do that. Like, all right, let's move Thank on. Thank God it's over. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting side note. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Gorilla Girls, and this is what I really love about them, is they wanted actual statistics. Um, so they took to the art museums in New York, and they uh, were doing what they called weenie counts. Um, which, <laughs> okay, I'm just not realizing as I'm reading my notes. Earlier, I was like, weenie counts, interesting name, not really sure why, but okay. I'm realizing they're counting penises yes so they're counting penises <laughs> so yeah so they went to museums and did so. weenie counts so it's, <laughs> that sounds so cute in a way um but yeah so they counted male artworks in ratio to female artworks that is genius i know they're like you want numbers baby here you go and so yeah. they found that women artists had produced less than five percent of artworks in the modern art department yet 85 percent of the nude works were women like i mentioned earlier and so they're like, all right. And yeah. so mm-hmm. one thing I love is, yeah, they've always strived to maintain accurate data because um, they've always wanted their movement to be fact-driven, which I appreciate. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so their message is uh, they have these tactics to spread the message. And um, one of the group's tactics, you could say, is called culture jamming. And I haven't heard of this before, but basically it's a form of protest where uh, it's commonly used by anti-consumerist social movements, mm-hmm. and it causes a big stir in mainstream culture and media, and it's basically like exposing methods of domination of a mass society. Hmm. And the methods of domination the Gorilla Girls wanted to expose, basically, is the art world being very white, male, Euro- Eurocentric, mm-hmm. um, and exploitive of different ethnic groups and genders yeah so the gorilla girls partake in culture jamming by making posters and billboards and advertisements basically and their work could be seen on the side of buses and through like performative public appearances and we'll put images up but it looks so badass you just see a group of these strong women walking through the streets of new york with these badass black gorilla masks like not taking you know anything from anyone I um, love that. That is yeah. so cool. And the images are super cool, so you'll definitely have to check it out. Yes. Um, but yeah, so they hide behind they hide their identity and then they take to the streets. Um, and not only would they wear girl masks, but they also take on pseudonyms of famous female artists who have passed, so like Georgia O'Keeffe, Frida mm-hmm. Kahlo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that becomes their name, basically. Interesting. Yeah. And so um, just to wrap it up, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite artworks from the Gorilla Girls. And yeah, so uh, the Gorilla Girls have been well known for their protest art. Mm-hmm. And their work started out very like matter of fact. Like there's really no frills or much design to it at all. It's pretty much like black and white posters or flyers. Okay. Um, but it's still like is art that I would hang in my home because it's just like very jarring in a way. But um, 
And they also would hand out like flyers that were just lists of facts about inequality in the art community um, and like ratios of female artworks to male artworks mm-hmm. and also like pay discrepancies in the art world because I guess the pay discrepancies between uh, men and women is way more drastic in the art world. Um, so in 19- That is so interesting. I'm really glad yeah. you're talking about this because I didn't know that. You know, you think of art as like... A- inclusive and like open-minded people and you never like i never even thought about inequality in the art world i mean Uh i don't know i mean i don't know it's you know and it really uh, makes me think of things that i never gave two thoughts about Mm -hmm. art for example like when i've been to um the art museum and have looked at all of these artifacts all of those artifacts have been stolen by white like you know, people that go into other people's countries and raid them and steal their possessions, and now it's on display in a museum. It's just like, I don't know, there is definitely, um, you know, there's definitely disparities in the art community as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about it like that. But But yeah, sorry, anyways. In 1985, the Gorilla Girls printed a poster showing how the salary gap in the art world between men and women was much worse than the United States average. Mm. And the poster proclaimed that women in America earn only two-thirds of what men do, but women artists earn only one-third of what men do. So not only on a general scale are women earning less than men, but in the art world, it's even worse. Got it. Um, So yeah, so... Yeah, it's just, uh, they're really highlighting all of that stuff. <laughs> so another 1985 poster that the group created um, listed the names of some of the most famous working artists. And it said, what do these artists have in common? With the answer being, they allow their work to be shown in galleries that show no more than 10% of women or none at all. So oh, then wow. they started calling out artists, saying like, you're allowing your work to be shown in these mm-hmm. galleries that aren't very just. Um and so another early Girl Girls work is from 1986, and this one I love, and I'll, I will definitely post this one as well. Yeah. And it's called Dearest Art Collector, and I'll describe the way it looks for listeners. It's a poster or like a flyer sort of thing, and it's made to look like a handwritten letter on pink feminine paper and curly, frilly writing. Um, And it reads, Dearest Art Collector, it has come to our attention that your collection, like most, does not contain enough art by women. We know that you feel terrible about this and will rectify the solution immediately. All our love, Gorilla Girls. (laughs) And so this is a quote from theartstory.org. And I I just um, am saying the direct quote because I feel like they really described this artwork perfectly. So it says, shortly after forming their group, the Gorilla Girls sent this poster to well-known art collectors pointing out how few works they owned by women artists. The work was addressed, Dearest Collector, and it was made to resemble a handwritten letter on powder pink paper, and the rounded cursive script uh, is crowned with this, like, cartoon frowning flower. Love that. I know. And so it just, like, oozes, like, femininity, Mm -hmm. like, writing in a diary-type style. And, um... It's exemplifying this, like, scathing sarcasm that the Gorilla Girls were, were really known for. Right, like, this is what you think of women. Exactly. Is this pink paper and this flower. Really yeah. writing. So, and this, like, send 
up uh, feminine. It's basically saying that femininity is aimed at the expectation that even when presenting a serious complaint, women should do so in a socially acceptable and nice way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like the line, we know you feel terrible about this, mm-hmm. um, you know, appealing to the feelings. So just like, you know, their sarcasm's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I love it. All our love. I know. Yeah, I love All that. our love. And um, so yeah, in this poster, you can see like, well, this is a picture of the poster, and you can see this yeah. gorilla hand writing it. Mm-hmm. It's we'll post it. It's, it's you have it's to look so at it. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm just gonna talk about a couple more artworks, and one of them is the 1988 poster that they made called "Advantages of Being a Woman Artist," and this is a black and white poster, and it has these sarcastic statements. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just gonna go ahead and read the poster. Working without the pressure of success, not having to be in shows with men, having an escape from the art world in your four freelance jobs, knowing your career might pick up after you're 80, being reassured. So sarcastic. I know. (laughs) um, Being reassured that whatever kind of art you make, it will be labeled feminine, not being struck in a tenured teaching position. Seeing your ideas live on in the work of others. Having the opportunity to choose between career and motherhood. Not having to choke on those big cigars in the paint of Italian suits. (laughs) Having more time to work when your mate dumps you for someone younger. (laughs) Being included in revised versions of art history. And not having to undergo the embarrassment of being called a genius. And lastly, getting your picture in an art magazine wearing a gorilla suit. Gorilla girls is what it says at the bottom. I love that. Yeah. And so the so-called advantages, um, it's 13 advantages Mm -hmm. listed because that's like an unlucky number. And it's um, ways in which women are systematically excluded from art textbooks and exhibitions and so it says, you know, seeing your ideas live on in the work of others. And that alludes to women's innovations that have been misattributed to men. Um, and knowing your career might not pick up after your 80s, referring to uh, famous female artists like uh, Lee Krasner and Georgia O'Keeffe and other women artists whose contributions were only acknowledged um, when they were either passed yeah. or not working anymore. Sad. Right. So they couldn't be, you know... They didn't even receive compensation really for their work, um, and having to uh, the opportunity to choose between career and motherhood addresses the persistent social expectation that women must choose, um, and for men there's no equivalent expectation like that, and right. so um, that was you know more serious than the other work that I was talking about, mm-hmm. and then so the other work that I want to talk about is a 1989 poster, and it's called When Racism and Sexism Are No Longer Fashionable, Will Your Art Collection Be Worth? Um, it's a black and white poster, and it reads on it, the art market won't bestow mega buck prizes, prizes on the work of a few white males forever. And it says, for the $17.7 million you just spent on a single Jasper Johns painting, you could have bought at least one work by all of these women and artists of color. And then below it, it lists, I want to say, 67 women artists and artists of color that you could each at least buy one work from for what it costs to buy one piece of work uh, from Jasper Johns. So basically, it's saying that... 
Yeah, so at the end of the 1980s, contemporary art prices were super high. And um, work by women artists, though, did not rise as well. And so this poster reminds uh, that the art market won't bestow mega buck prices on the art world when it comes to female artists. Um, and so that's, you know, really interesting how much money somebody will spend on one work of art. But yeah. And then the last artwork I want to talk about is called Do Women Have to Be Naked to Get into the Met Museum? And this was a 1989 poster that the group created. And um, in this, there is actually a gorilla face imposed on an image of a nude, uh, of a nude woman, like mm-hmm. in an artistic style. And it's a refined symbol, I guess, of feminine sensuality, but turning it into like this big monster to kind of draw attention to the title, Do Women Have to Be Naked to Get into the Met? Um, And this was a response to uh, what I said earlier and that they discovered that 85% of the nudes in museums were all women, but only 5% of artists in the modern art section are women. Um, So yeah, so all of their art, it very much reminds me of Barbara Kruger, if you're familiar with her work. She's another feminist artist. Mm -hmm. Um, But in conclusion, so there's still a group today. Um, and they have exhibitions all over the world internationally. And uh, I just really wanted to end with this quote. And this is from an interview um, from them. It says, you know, why, they're asking the girls, why do you wear the masks? And they said, we were gorillas before we were gorillas. From the beginning, the press wanted publicity photos. We needed a disguise. No one remembers for sure how we got our fur. But one story is that at an early meeting, an original girl, a bad speller, wrote gorilla instead of gorilla when she was talking about gorilla warfare. And it was an enlightened mistake and it gave us our masculinity. (laughs) Hence the pun. Masculinity. Masculinity. I love that. (laughs) Um, And then in an interview with New York Times, they said, anonymous free speech is protected by the Constitution. You'd be surprised what comes out of your mouth when you wear a mask. And I love that. I love that. And I, I feel like people should, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, take that with you throughout the week. Yeah. Um, think about what would come out of your mouth if you were wearing a mask, if you had that anonymity. Yeah. Anonymity. Anonymity. I was just about to say. Anonymity. So... Yeah, so that is the story of the Gorilla Girls. Oh, I love that story. Um, they very, seem so inspiring. Very inspiring, uplifting, you know, taking a stance against racism and sexism. And yes. I'm all for that. And it's just the positivity I needed after that dark, gloomy story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is our second episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes. Um, please remember there's timestamps in the description so you can skip around to different segments. And yeah, so we will see you next week. Next week, I'll be covering the dark topic again. Mm-hmm, and I'll be covering the art topic. And please make sure you follow us at Art After Dark Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We're on Facebook now. Yes, Thanks we're on to Maddie. Facebook. Um, and rate and review us on iTunes. Yes. If you like us, rate and review us. If you don't, you don't have to take the time to yeah, do that. Don't it's, even... it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye.